0: Welcome to My Gnarliest Moment, the podcast that delves deep into the world of extreme sports and exploration, sharing hair-raising stories from professional athletes and adventurists from all over the globe, and how they overcame their greatest challenges. This week, we're sharing the stories of ultramarathon runner, model, and fitness blogger Flora Beverly. Flora caught the running bug back in 2018, and has since completed long-distance and ultra runs across the world, including most recently the multi-day rat race Croatia and the ultra trail Snowdonia Challenges. Today, we cover a particularly gnarly moment on one of her epic runs abroad, her dream athletic goals for the future, and why water purification tablets really are a must-have for any distance race. Let's get into it. So, Flora, I've been following your journey for a very long time now, ever since you began your running career, and now you are a long-distance runner who has participated in races pretty much all over the world. And I'd love to know, what is your earliest memory of wanting to do this?
1: Well, I definitely wasn't the sort of child who was particularly into sports. I was super active. Um, I used to love running around the garden and and just kind of being bonkers like children are. But I definitely was also, um, on the flip side of that, one of the last people who was ever chosen for team sports at school. It turns out I'm just not particularly good at team sports. But running was pretty low on my agenda of uh sports to try out. Um it wasn't until I left school really that I started doing running purely because, you know, it, it's kind of true that all you need is some trainers and a sports bra and you can kind of head out um, and just be able to explore wherever you are. Obviously it's a little bit more complicated than that, but essentially it's a lot easier than, you know, any of the sports that you learn at school where you need an entire team or a pitch or a court or like whatever it is. Um, so I took it up purely for kind of keeping fit while I was doing some other sports but I was so bad at it having done like a little bit of track at school so like 100 meters 200 meters um I would try and keep up that pace and then I would get to the end of my road and just sort of be bent over. Like I can't go any further. Um, and I just thought like, I'm not built for running. I'm so bad at running. And for a very long time I was, because I just didn't realize that like, you're allowed to run slower. You don't have to sprint your entire run. And then as soon as I did that, I suddenly was like, Oh my God, actually, this is quite nice. And then it, I took up trail running after getting injured whilst training for a marathon in 2019, which was the first like big race I'd ever trained for. I started trail running um, because the the ground underfoot is so much softer. And once I did that, I was hooked because I had been running in London, like in Hammersmith. And then I suddenly went to the countryside and was running on the trails. And it was so beautiful. And I was like, oh, this is why people enjoy running. And so it's just a chance to spend time outside and spend time in nature. Um, So that was my first experience of trail running. And I absolutely loved it. And that was about 2019, yeah.
0: And sort of a note on, as you say, it's being softer underfoot and sort of being more enjoyable to be out on the trails. But I'm interested in how you've built up from sort of, again, doing very short distances, 5, 10 Ks to what you're doing now, which is, you know, well within the 10th of Ks, um, very, very long distances, sometimes over whole islands um, from what I've seen on your social media. So how have you also progressed to building up to that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I definitely don't think I did it the right way, but I'm going to tell you how I did it. Um, this is not an educational manual. Like definitely don't do this. So (laughs) I was asked to do a Tokyo marathon, uh, in 2019 with 10 weeks notice having never run even a 10 kilometer race in my life it's Tokyo marathon, you know, you don't say no to an opportunity like that. And I was super lucky to be sponsored by a brand to go there and and kind of share my training for it as a non runner as a kind of generally fit person, but very much a non runner. Um, I trained up really quickly within the space of about 10 weeks. Uh, like I said, I got injured, did the marathon was properly injured. Um, but kind of realized that actually, you know, that, that relatively short training block had improved me from someone who would really struggle to run 5k to someone who could at a push run 42 kilometers. Um, and that mentality got me through to 2020 lockdown hit. I'd been training for some half marathons at the time and was suddenly stuck, not being able to do any of my races. And so instead I was just running down in Dorset, which is in my opinion, one of the most beautiful places to run in the world. Um, No tourists around or anything, just the southwest coast path uh, to myself, really. And I was just running for the joy of it. And at the end of lockdown, I, although I very much had enjoyed running around Dorset, I was pretty like, I definitely wanted to visit somewhere else. So when my friend asked if I could go and run up in the Peak District um, for the Ultra X England Day 2, which is 50 kilometers in the Peak District, um, I thought, what's the worst that, that can happen? You know, it's just a fun day out on the trails and. I'd been sold as this sort of moving picnic idea where you just eat as much as you can and go all day and eventually you make it to the finish line, hopefully. Um, And I thought, well, you know what, I'm not trained for an ultramarathon. I don't think I'd run any further than like maybe 25, 26K, um, albeit very hilly kilometers. Um, But at the same time, I was kind of like, well, I've done Tokyo Marathon, which obviously is 42 kilometers. I ran the whole of that. Surely if I can incorporate some running into this, then I can finish this one. And that was sort of my mentality. And also there was zero pressure because I've never done anything like that before. It's not like road running where, you know, there's a certain time that people expect for a certain distance because every single trail run, every single ultra run is completely different. Even the same one on different days can be completely different. So there was really no pressure, which for me, you know, pressure does sometimes put me off doing stuff as well as making me more competitive about them, which is not great if you're not very good at it. Um so I just went out and and I just had such a great time and I I knew lots of people there. It was the first event after COVID that a lot of us, I think any of us had really done. Um and it was just a really beautiful day out on the trails in the Peak District. And I, I managed to hobble my way around it. I felt significantly better than I expected as well. And for me, I like honestly from that moment I was completely and utterly hooked it's that realization that you're able to do so much more than you ever thought that you were able to do. And that, that really, I think, um, kind of applies to lots of other things in your life. Once you realise that you're like, Oh, maybe if I can do this, then I can do that other thing that I'm really scared of. And that's a really addictive feeling. So I signed up for my second one, literally like that week, which is a month. It was a month later, the second ultra that I did and did another 50 kilometers down on the Southwest coast path in, um, in, uh, like the Isle of Purbeck, um, which, again, absolutely gorgeous. And the views just carried me through. And I just had so much fun. And from that moment, yeah, I was completely hooked. (laughs)
0: I think it's really interesting that you've touched upon your, your mindset there, which is you can see directly how that applies to other areas of your life in building up resilience in taking on new challenges. Um, and obviously, the title of this podcast is My Gnarliest Moment. And what I'm also trying to pick out from asking that question is, well, actually, what did you learn from that? And how did you um, take those lessons learned forward? And how did that influence what you did subsequently sort of in your outdoor pursuits or with your la- athletic career? So I would love to know in your own words, what do you think was your gnarliest moment in your career? So far.
1: Yeah, so um from that relatively safe and simple 50 kilometers, I uh went a bit wild. Um I just thought, well, if I can do that, what else can I do? And I signed up for this uh four-day ultra marathon. The the full thing was actually five days, but my friend's uh wedding to get to, so I was like, well, I'll go along and I'll do four days and then go to the wedding the next day, which in hindsight completely bonkers as I you know. do. <laughs> <laughs> um But the race itself should have been manageable, difficult, but manageable for me. But there were some elements that I since have learned that you must think about before going out to a race. Um, So the race itself was a um, four day ultramarathon in Croatia. Each day was between sort of 30 and 50, uh, 50, 60 kilometers Um, and the total distance I did in the end was 172 kilometers over four days, but that isn't the full story. The first day is a known route. It's a known race that happens every year in Croatia It's 40 kilometers, quite a punchy start, um, because it's also got an insane amount of elevation gain. Um, I think it's like 2,200 or something, which for 40 kilometers is pretty, pretty intense. Um, and the race, the fastest time that that race, as I found out after it, the fastest time that race has ever been done is six hours 40. And that's for 40 kilometers. So if you think about road marathons, and then you, that and that's the fastest time anyone's ever done. It. You're like, okay, so that should give an impression as to how hard that day is. So I went around that day. It was horrible. I felt I did awfully. When I say horrible, obviously wasn't horrible. It was very much like type two fun. Looking back at it, I'm like, that was so cool. But at the time, I was having a somewhat difficult time mentally speaking because honestly, it was taking me like between 13 and 20 minutes to do a mile, and so the time was ticking off so slowly. So I go back in. Eight hours, 40 day one day two was a lot easier it was around six hours absolutely beautiful most beautiful place I've ever run in my entire life in fact I just went back there on holiday because I was like I need to visit this place more um absolutely gorgeous then day three came and day three and day four were the real kickers so day three was uh 48 odd kilometers um but it was supposed to be 42 and we got to what we thought was a couple of kilometers from the end only to be told that we were still like six very hilly uphill kilometers from the end which at that point is not fun and the gnarliest moment part of it comes because the trail was not accessible by car and so for the aid stations we were drinking water out of wells and I've, ha- I've done that before and it's been fine but I've never done it in Croatia and usually I would have some sort of filter bottle but we hadn't been asked to bring anything like that and I hadn't brought any sort of iodine tabs, I haven't brought anything that could purify the water but they yeah. said it'd be absolutely fine and um obviously i believed them and also i've got like a stomach of steel so i was like <laughs> oh, this is not gonna be a problem anyway as you can probably guess it was a problem and it's the only water that you can get there so we were drinking liters and liters of well water i mean look i Just honestly, I looked at one of them and I was like, I'm not going to look in any of the rest because I bet there are dead animals in there. And (laughs) I can imagine the stomach situation was not good. Um, (laughs) Everyone had had a bad stomach. A lot of people couldn't eat at all. A lot of people couldn't finish the day. Most people kind of had varying degrees of like runner's tummy, you know, like not Mm -hmm. good. Um, But what that meant for me was that Although we'd been relatively quick, you know, we'd come in quite quickly that day compared to the 80 people that were out there. We were still out there for nearly 12 hours. And most of that time was drinking this well water. And so by the time I got back, I hadn't been able to eat for the last few hours. I was limiting my water because it was making me ill. And I also couldn't run for more than a few kilometers without having to go behind a tree. So it basically was a completely disastrous day if it had been a single day race in and of itself. Unfortunately, it was only day three of four. And as anyone who's done ultramarathons marathons know, knows, the really important thing is that you eat well on the run, you drink well, remain hydrated, and you refuel as much as possible so that the next day you're well recovered and you can go again. But because I hadn't been able to eat from a few hours in, I basically was severely depleted in terms of carbohydrates and calories. And while I ate maybe like 1200 calories that evening, as soon as I got back, it meant that I started the next day in such a calorie and, um, uh, kind of just a generally depleted state that that day, which was 50 kilometers, i.e., the longest day yet. Um, I basically was starting from a position of being like semi starved. So anyway, I had lots of food that morning set out with my nice fresh tap water. Um no problems at all with my stomach, but every time I ate sugar, I would start to get this sort of gurgling in my stomach and basically I couldn't I couldn't take in anything that was super sweet. And most running fuel is sweet and I hadn't thought to bring anything that was savory because when you're running when you want something quick and immediate for energy you need sugar and but that was exactly the sort of stuff that i couldn't eat so what i had to do was someone else had trail mix i was just eating nuts but nuts are really slow release energy i was basically like i wonder how far i can go of this 50k without eating anything Anyway, on a good day, maybe I might be able to do 50k without eating anything. Not something I'd recommend. It's going to be hellish, but like possibly. But having done up to that point, 120 odd kilometers and 12 hours the day before, I basically, I got to 38 kilometers and I bonked. And for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it basically means your muscles run out of glycogen, you can't physically contract them anymore. And basically your release of energy slows almost to a halt and you have to stop or walk. But, um, I got to the bottom of this hill and I was like, I literally can't get up that hill. I actually like my, my muscles physically won't contract enough for me to push myself up that hill. And so I uh, pushed on the people who I was with because they were actually racing. They were finishing the day. I was only doing 50K. They were doing 60 or 70K, <clears throat> 70K, I think. Um, so I pushed them ahead. I was like, you guys need to, like, you know, get this done so that you can go and relax. Um, and I curled up on the side of the trail for a nap. Um, yeah. And bearing in mind in Croatia, there are copious amounts of snakes, Uh-oh. wolves, foxes, <laughs> bears, Lots and lots of spiders. (laughs) Absolutely like a lot of things that would not be your friend if they found you sleeping on the side of a trail. My thinking was that A, I couldn't get up the I couldn't get up the stairs anyway. B, there were 80 people in this race. We were relatively far forward. I figured someone would pass me at some point. C, I was like, I can't eat anything right now, but maybe at some point I will be able to if I just stop running and have a little bit of a nap. So I had a short nap, woke up, had a gel and was able to do those last few kilometers uh yeah i think it was like another 10 12 kilometers at that point um but like looking back at it my brain was not really functioning properly like i would probably not advise doing that sort of thing in a race it's not really safe it's better to go back to the previous aid station and ask for help um but in my in my quite competitive state i was like "The what i need to do is get to the end so i only have 10 more kilometers to do even if i crawl that i will get it done within the next couple of hours and i practically did crawl it the gel thank god stuck and did its job got me to the end it had caffeine and a shit ton of glucose in it and that basically just allowed me to get to the end. But I was literally, I was in, I was in floods of tears. I could barely stand upright without leaning against the rocks. We were on the top of a mountain on a path that was like this narrow. It was so unsafe. <laughs> looking back at it I'm like oh my god and I, I was filming for YouTube as well and there were some things that I was like I'm not putting this on YouTube this is this is so <laughs> irresponsible even in my state then I knew this is so irresponsible I am not sharing this with anyone because I'm going to get so much hate but in the moment I just didn't know what to do it was just oh my god yeah that was my gnarliest moment
0: <laughs> I mean there are so many so many elements there that sort of I'd love to touch on as well because some of it must have been so harrowing but at the same time to the point whereby you're so as as you say you know your brain sort of stops functioning when you're that depleted you know you're dehydrated you've got pretty much no reserves your glycogen's completely gone to the point whereby to you the most reasonable thing to do was actually to have a nap um I mean, I have to ask, did, did you have any encounters with creepy crawlies, outdoor animals, anything like that? Because as you say, you know, it, a, a, all it would have taken would be a snake coming along or, you know, a, a wolf coming down from, from one of the hills, you know, so so you got through that bit fairly unscathed from the sounds of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't an issue. Like, I know I'm a biologist, right? So my degree is in biology. So I I kind of, I had an idea of what was there and what was dangerous, what was not. Like I know that the vast majority of the snakes there are not venomous, but I had seen several already that day. Um, So it was kind of like the likelihood of something bad happening when it comes to nature is pretty low, I'm usually more worried about people in those situations. What is someone going to do if they find a woman lying at the side of a trail? However, I think in that situation, it was probably fine. It's just like not something that I would usually recommend people do.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like, it, you know, it was obviously, this was your unique experience, but it sounds like it was obviously something that affected pretty much anyone that had to drink that horrible water, as you refer to. And I I guess it's sort of tough to to reflect on this. And I'd love to know your thoughts on reflecting on it and the aftermath, which is, that's something that, as you say, would have been beyond your control, especially if you weren't told that you had to bring any sort of water purification tablets or a filter or anything, you know, and everyone was in that situation. And it's pretty much, you know, I either dehydrate to the point whereby it's incredibly dangerous and you've got the risks inherent with that, or I drink it and kind of take my chances, and it sounds like everyone's chance did not did not pay off. but what what sort of happened in the immediate aftermath? You know you managed to kind of, as you say, get to the end, and it was you know emotionally and physically overwhelming what What sort of happened in in the sort of hours to days that followed?
1: Well, my immediate thing after finishing a race or a single day of any multi-day event is the logistics of refueling that's like I'm very practical when it comes to things like that because you have to be um otherwise you end up in the same situation that I ended up in um so yeah literally like food electrolytes water get on as much as you can wait a couple of hours then do exactly the same thing again um and then in the days afterwards I was kind of reflecting on like what was it that meant that I was so much worse than what I heard most people were like, like everyone struggled, but why did I get to that position? I think for me, it was that I foolishly thought that I could uh, kind of control my bodily response to the point of being able to not eat whilst running a 50K. And while I think actually, like in hindsight, I probably could have done had I not done three days previously, I think you kind of just have to be like, you know what, food and water are like the number one priority. Finishing the 50K is the number two priority. And I put those things the other way around. I was like, what will get me to the end? Food and water come second. And the days afterwards, I was kind of like thinking, "You know, if I wanna do this sort of thing again, which I absolutely do, it did not put me off at all. um, What is it that I need to do to be able to put me in a better position next time? And I've done multi day stuff since then, and it's gone better so you know you you live and you learn so long as you live, you learn
0: <laughs> oh absolutely um, and there are a few yeah again, a few things that I sort of wanted to touch upon because you you as you say you know you're you're quite you're almost forced into introspection, I guess when you're rehabbing from a race like this, you know you've got you've got to rest, you've got to recover. Um, And I suppose that means a lot of time sort of reflecting on what's just happened a lot of time alone with your thoughts. Um, But one thing I'm very keen to touch upon is that you immediately said to me there that, you know, it hadn't put you off at all. Um, And I wondered sort of why that might be. Um, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. I I don't know if I would immediately come away from that thinking, can't wait to get out again, can't wait for the next one. So I'm curious to understand your mindset there and where that motivation comes from and that passion, despite obviously having been in a, you know, a potentially lethal situation if you think about it you know you didn't know how dehydrated you were at the time and it could have led to heat stroke or something similar so i i I would love to know your thought process there and your your sort of where you get that motivation from
1: well i think primarily it was out of necessity because i had i actually had my longest race my longest single day race five weeks after i came back from that race so i had not very much time to turn myself around so I couldn't be, I didn't really have the luxury of being in the mindset of like, let me take some time off and then maybe I'll get back to it as and when. Um, So first and foremost, necessity, you know, I had to be very practical about what's going to get me back on the trails and how can I train, how can I recover as quickly as possible so that I can get back to training. Um, But secondarily, I think despite all the stuff I've just told you, I also had some of the most epic days of running while I was out there you know like I said day two was the most beautiful place I have ever been in my entire life you know if you think of a video game creating some version of paradise it was like that and I was running through it and I was like how lucky are we to be somewhere like this for six hours today and then for four days like it is really kind of truly incredible and we're so privileged to be able to do that and and the highs and the lows, they come together. You know, you can't have one without the other. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard of all the different types of fun. There's type one fun that's fun when you're doing it and fun in hindsight. And then there's type two fun, which is what a lot of ultra running is, which is kind of hellish at the time. And then in hindsight, you're like, oh my God, that was so cool. And then there's type three fun that was hellish at the time, and in hindsight, you're like, "Wow, that was a bit gnarly. Like, I probably shouldn't have done that." Which was maybe the situation that I found myself in in day four. But, but generally, it was type two fun or type one fun. And I think, you know, like childbirth, you know, you 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 forget all the stuff that was really bad. And I think it's a protective mechanism whereby your body is like, "We need to think of the positives in this situation," and then they get you to sign up to another ultra marathon. So you know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in that thought as well because it's it's something that um my husband was in the army and he constantly reminds me that you don't actually remember pain. Like you remember how bad the experience might have been and you have that memory of, oh, I remember that was horrendous, but you don't actually remember the exact feeling and that in itself is, as you say, motivating the protective factor. So that's really interesting that you've obviously dug into what's the psychology behind it there. And speaking of type three fun, um, an enormous part of these conversations for me is actually understanding what the lessons were learned. And you've already touched upon some of those, but I wondered whether you would ever, and it sounds like you don't, but would you ever regret what happened or did you find it to be valuable to your progression as a runner?
1: I definitely don't regret it. It was, a, it was probably a lesson that I had to learn at some point and I learned it in a way that was forced upon me, which is often how you learn the best. I think you have to respond to a situation that you find yourself in and the way that you respond, whether you get it right or whether you get it wrong and I often more so if you get it wrong, you learn so much in that situation. So no, I don't regret it. I probably would have regretted if it caused some lasting damage. uh, But no, I I don't think I've ever regretted a race, including the ones that have left me in a pretty bad state. Um, So yeah, no, no regrets, never any regrets. I try not to leave any situation feeling like, I shouldn't have been there in the first place. But that is what has led me to doing so many of these because I think, you know, what new lessons can I learn today by beating myself up and putting myself in a really shitty situation? Um, And then I come away, you know, being a better runner for it. So, yeah, I I think it's um, you learn something every time.
0: And in terms of the longevity of your running career as well, and we've touched a little bit upon motivation as well, where do you see sort of you going in the next five, 10, 20 years with it, you know, and how do you see sort of maintaining that motivation, keeping up those challenges, that interest, you know, how how do you do that and what do you see in your future for that?
1: Um, it's a good question. You know, I'm not, I'm not a great runner, you know, I'm not going to be a competitive athlete. I would beg
0: to differ based on what I've seen, <laughs> but sure.
1: <laughs> no, genuinely, like I'm not fast. I don't have a great marathon time. My fastest marathon time is on the trails during a 50 K. Like it's not, It's not a speedy – I'm not a speedy runner, right? But I really enjoy going to cool places, being in uncomfortable but beautiful situations and exploring, essentially just exploring. Um, And I have zero interest in – conquering things you know like I don't want to be an expedition leader and conquer mountains or whatever I just want to be in the landscape and my like I said my background's in biology I'm a complete nature nerd I am an absolute avid gardener and just you know fan obsessive of the outdoors and that is what fuels me rather than times and paces and obviously being a relatively competitive person I do also want to do quite well but but generally what, what motivates me is the chance to go and visit new places and explore places. And I think that's what will fuel me beyond <clears throat> the obvious things of getting a fast 5K, time 10K, half marathon, marathon. You know, those are tick-box exercises for me in order to be able to go and do the things that truly light my soul on fire, like the multi-day ultra marathons, like the adventure race I've just come back from, you know, like Snowdonia this weekend. It is. It's all just for the sake of exploring and visiting somewhere new in a way that you couldn't do if you were just driving through it or whatever. So yeah, I think, I think in, in five, 10, 15, even 20 years time, it's really just about the exploration, not about anything else really. And if I perform well, that's an added bonus. And that would make me very, very happy indeed. But um, it's not the primary reason why I do it.
0: So what are the absolute dream races or places that would be on your ideal bucket list then?
1: So there's a race in, I think it's in Kyrgyzstan, um, that, uh, a company called Beyond the Ultimate put on and they run, um, some pretty epic races like the spine race, they also run uh, the Highland Ultra, which I adored up in Noydat, uh, which I did in 2021, I think, October 2021, um, which is a three day ultramarathon, 125 kilometers. But their one in Kyrgyzstan is um, 220 kilometers, I think, over five days. And it is extremely hilly. When I say hilly, it's in the mountains, so it's mountainous um but the views i mean it looks like something out of lord of the rings there are these epic mountains beautiful skies and then lakes as well everywhere and i think this is the first year this is the inaugural year that they're going to put on the event so i'm going to wait for the picks and then decide whether i want to do it but like in that would that would be definitely a bucket list race for me i don't think i'm good enough to do it yet and i want to give it my best shot if i do go and do it so i'm kind of waiting to have conditioned my legs a little bit more um done a bit more quad bashing I think on the hills but that's a pretty much a bucket race uh bucket list race for me and then anything really that is mountains and rivers and lakes that's where I feel the most at home even though I live in Bristol <laughs> <laughs> but I just love I just love the mountains um and I'm going out to Chamonix twice this year to do uh some training and then I'm racing out there as part of UTMB week as well so um, I'll get my fix then um but I don't like I'm not really a huge fan of giant races despite the fact I'm doing OCC which is 56 kilometers out in the Alps uh in autumn August um But I don't really love the kind of big famous races. I really like small races where there's like anywhere between like 30 and 80, maybe 100 people doing it. But, you know, it's the smaller, the better really for me. I just I think that's the way that you get the most connection with the outdoors rather than having thousands of people around you. Um, I, I can do without the cheering on the streets, even though it's really lovely. So small races, big mountains, big lakes, rivers, gorgeous views. That's where it's at.
0: And one thing I'm curious to know, because I suppose it's less, well, I say less, but comparatively less risky than say mountaineering or, you know, free soloing and, you know, other sort of comparative extreme sports with trail running is that often the, uh, you know, aside from your experience of having to drink well water, a lot of these races, these events are incredibly well staffed, you know, organized, signposted. Um, But does that sort of take away some of the enjoyment for you if you feel it's too chaperoned or do you enjoy does that sort of make it safer for you to enjoy I guess what I'm trying to ask is do you enjoy the element of risk if there is one in some of the trails that you do I've seen some of the paths you run on and some of the some of the trails look a bit gnarly to me um particularly when you're very high up so I just wondered if that changes your enjoyment of the race at all
1: um well I'm a complete adrenaline junkie but I'm also not I'm not a really high risk person which feels like those are two opposing things if i could take away the risk without taking away my adrenaline i would absolutely do that i think unfortunately the two do sort of go hand in hand but it's more about perceived risk rather than actual risk and i think most of the trails that i do look kind of fun and gnarly and whatever if you trip over it definitely hurts but i also think the risk of something going really badly wrong you know i don't do sky running so the risk of something going really badly wrong is actually relatively slim Um, and while there's a very high risk of something small going wrong, the risk of, you know, you killing yourself or getting some major injury are relatively low. And I think would be fairly similar if you were just out for a hike and had a bad experience, you know, it's, it's kind of at that point, it's just really bad luck. Um, it's just, I'm doing it a lot more than the average person would do it. Um, so no, in answer to your question, I'm not there because it's risky, but at the same time, it definitely adds a level of fun and enjoyment to me. But if you could remove that, then, you know, I wouldn't be averse to that. But to your point about being chaperoned, I hate being chaperoned. I really, I I think, obviously, there are elements that have to be controlled. And I'm very happy to be told in a situation where I don't know best. I'm very happy to be told what to do. However, in a situation where... I feel very confident. I really, really don't like being told that I can't go somewhere or that I have to do something in a particular way. Um, So yeah, I have not usually have issues with authority, but in certain situations, it just really grinds my gears. Like for example, I did the Yorkshire three peaks challenge and they insisted that we wear, so I did it as a group um, as part of like a, a job that I was doing. And they insisted that we wear hiking boots in case we rolled our ankle. And I was like, look, I'm a trail runner. I wear trail shoes. Please let me wear my trail shoes. I feel comfortable in them. I run a lot of miles in them. I feel confident. And they were like, we can't because the insurance says that we can't. And so I wore my, my hiking boots. And by the end, I had like no toes left. My ankles killed. And yeah, just generally I was not comfortable in them at all because I never wear them. Um, and that's the sort of bureaucracy, chaperoning that I'm like what is the point this is making everyone's situation worse but I mean I get it of course I get it if you're doing it as a group you have to be careful about these sorts of things but yeah I'm not one for sort of being micromanaged.
0: No fair enough and I guess lastly my question is you've you again you touched on this at the start but do you have any other advice that you would share for someone wanting to get started in trail running to follow in your footsteps Um, you know maybe where they can find out about these these small Boutiquey races that you participate in, which sound incredible um, and take take you all over the world. So what would you say to them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, when it comes to getting started with trail running, I know this is so stupid, but like literally just go out and get started. I think people are waiting for the perfect trail, the perfect excuse to get out. And to be honest, there isn't one, and the more you just throw yourself headfirst into it, the better. The one thing I would say is get yourself a good pair of trail shoes um at the moment I'm wearing the Hoke Mafate Speed Hoka Speed 4 um which are really great for hard pack trails but then I also wear the Innovate Rock Light um G320 or something like that and they are amazing for our British trails which are muddy um so between those two that's kind of like my summer and my winter shoe um you're gonna stay a lot easier you're gonna find it a lot easier to stay upright if you're wearing good trail shoes so I would thoroughly recommend buying some of those before going out to the trails but if you're on like wide forest tracks you can wear your road shoes and you'll be absolutely fine that's a good transitionary kind of experience between road and the trails because it's not gnarly you don't have roots and rocks and stuff everywhere it's wide it's relatively flat maybe with a couple of hills here and there but that's a really great place to start um but yeah i think just go out get out, get get uh get with some friends and just kind of go out to the the woods, your local woods and it is so much fun. I think the views take your mind off the fact that you're running, and especially if you're if you're with friends you're chatting and and all that but there most places in the u k have some sort of trail running community, um maybe some trail running clubs that might be good if you feel a little bit unconfident about getting out, so just get in touch with them, see if you can join um They are honestly like they are everywhere in Bristol, we must have like six different trail running groups which are really really good and when it comes to races um I tried to share all the races that I do on my youtube channel I literally have uh a um what's the word like a library of all the races that I've done where I've vlogged them and I think I've vlogged almost literally every single race that I've done So if you are looking for some, I do have them on there, but obviously I've only been running really since 2019, so I don't have that many races on there, Um, but I will be sharing as many as I can. Then yeah, definitely like check out Beyond the Ultimate. Maverick, I think are one of the best for accessible races. They've got distances from like 6k to maybe even like 100k, 50 miles at least, um, that they do all around the UK and every single time they have lots of different distance options and they are always in beautiful places if you're from london most of them are accessible from london like super easily so um thoroughly recommend checking them out ultra x do some good ones if you want to start doing ultras uh they've got single day events uh, 50k multi-day events that are 110k so a 60k day and then a 50k day um endurance life oh god i mean there are so many and they are all really good. If you've heard of them, they're probably good. That's why people go to them. Um, but for the longer multi-day stuff, I think Rat Race is really good. They're who I've just come back from an adventure race with. They do lots of multi-sport things. Um, if you're a cyclist, you'll love them. And then also Tribe Run for Love is great because it's not a race. Um, it's just a charity-raising, a money-raising kind of mission, um, which is what I'm doing in September out in sweden which is five days 250 kilometers to raise money for charity to end modern day slavery so um it's a great one that doesn't matter if you don't finish because it's all just for charity so long as you turn up and give it your best shot then uh, you've done your job so yeah sorry that was so much information
0: <laughs> no that's great i'll link it all in the show notes as well no thank you so much for and thank you for being a guest and sharing your story really appreciate it
1: not at all thanks so much for having me on
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of My Gnarliest Moment. And if you like what you've heard and want others to find us too, we would love it if you can rate, review, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time for another incredible guest story exploring the world's most challenging environments.